You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 63. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome all. Welcome all. Welcome to... Welcome to The Local Maximum. I'm your host. Big, big week this week. Uh, first, I just want to tell you about the launch of a product that I've been involved with, and that's Luminary. It's a new podcast network. That's the company that I joined uh, back in February, and I've been working hard on it. So if you have an iPhone or Android, make sure that you download the Luminary app as soon as you can. You can get all your favorite podcasts on there, including the local maximum, of course. But also for a small monthly fee, you can get access to some exciting new Podcasts. Personally, I'm really looking forward to Adam Davidson's Passion Economy. It's about people who are succeeding in today's world, but often through unconventional means, doing some something independently that they love, and sometimes stumbling onto something ingenious. Uh, you might know Adam Davidson from Planet Money, which we mentioned a few times in the program. So, I, I mean, I got a sneak peek at some of his episodes, and I think that just that would be worth a few bucks a month. But I'm also looking forward to a show from... Some comedians, Team Coco, Trevor Noah, and a whole host of others. I bet you've heard of many. And uh, some new ones that maybe you haven't heard of. So check it out. It's luminarypodcast.com if you want to sign up. Download the app on iPhone or Android today. Okay. So today's interview was conducted at the legendary venture capital firm Union Square Ventures. And it was with Bethany Crystal general manager of their portfolio network. We're going to learn about tech forecasting. We're going to learn about managing your career. That's something everybody needs. So it's good for you. Listen up. It's also a lot of fun. Actually, this is part of kind of a, a two-part career series because next week on the show, I'm getting my resume broken down by a, an expert. You'll find out who the expert is at the end of this show. You're going to be impressed. Believe me. Uh, but first, I want to mention this story that some listeners pointed out to me at Google, they decided that there might be some ethical concerns when it comes to AI, which is something I talked about in the program. So uh, they decided to create a panel, which is sort of a working group to study the problem. And always when you have these, a lot of people roll their eyes at these working groups, but uh, sometimes they're exactly what's needed to kind of break down the problem and issue a solid report. Uh, but in this case, Definitely score one win for the eye rollers because the AI group fell apart quickly and spectacularly. Let me read this quote from the article on Vox. The board survived for barely more than one week. Founded to guide responsible development of AI at Google, it would have had eight members and met four times over the course of 2019 to consider concerns about Google's AI program. These concerns include how AI can enable authoritarian states, how AI algorithms produce disparate outcomes, whether to work on military applications of AI, and more. But it ran into problems from the start. Now, if you dive into this further, you find out that two of the board members that uh, were considered objectionable by a group of uh, activists, and they successfully shut it down. The first is Heritage Foundation President Kay Cole James, mainly because of her hardline stance on trans issues and immigration, and Dylan Gibbons, who's the CEO of a drone company. And this is a military applications company. And so that's kind of a nice way to put it, because it's very sobering when you think about the fact that these drones are used to kind of you're used in war. They're used to assassinate political enemies and things like that. So 
The argument to get rid of them is, and I think I'm portraying this fairly, is that if you're going to have a tech ethics panel, you shouldn't have people who have what the people making the argument view as unethical views on it. So I can see that for the drone guy, certainly. Uh, for Kay Dr- James, I don't know how her socially conservative views would kind of fit into AI specifically, but perhaps there's just a feeling that we need to generally ban these people from society. Uh, but I'm worried about, you know, what's the end game here? Is this going to lead to a better panel? Hint, it didn't. Is this going to improve Google's ethics? Maybe a lost cause at this point anyway. So I, I just think that talking to people who hold different opinions, uh, even if opinions that one finds reprehensible, is never pleasant. But it sure beats the alternative. And I'm thankful that we live in a society where you can do that. Or at least we did, because... Uh, this panel is just another sign of the times for me, kind of. For Kay James specifically, I don't know. I think if they put a trans person on the panel and an immigrant on the panel, and I don't know that there isn't, then that's another way to ensure that all views are representative. But I'll tell you, are, are represented. But I'll tell you right now, everyone on the panel is probably associated with the governing establishment. Uh, even the conservative and the drone guy being hounded out. You know, the Heritage Foundation is an inside the Beltway conservative establishment organization. The drone company is part of the military industrial complex. And I'm sure that all the other participants that weren't objectionable are kind of typical liberal moderates who want to work with the government to build sensible regulations around AI, which, as I pointed out last week, is sure to make uh, those regulations are sure to be made so that Google competitors will have a harder time complying with it than Google itself. And I assume a large chunk of that is targeted advertising through big data. They didn't actually talk about targeted advertising as one of the reasons for the panel, but that's like 90% of their revenue. So that's got to be what they're talking about. I also know, you know, even though I'm for inclusion sometimes in these groups, I know there are limits to how extreme someone can be before I'd say, okay, that's enough, they need to go. And I can't say for for sure that the two people involved don't cross that line, but there's no conversation about that at all. And now we just ensure that this discussion inside Google is going to be even less transparent than it already is. So that's my take on it. I want to get into today's guest. That's Bethany Crystal of Union Square Ventures. We're going to draw connections between tech investing, AI development, and improving your career. So we touch on some big issues. And this is going to be relevant to you directly, my friend and listener. And Bethany has an awesome blog called Dry Erase, which I read all the time. It's really insightful. We don't talk about all the articles on here, but some other ones that I remember that were great were um, you know, how to moderate a panel. I... Uh, you know, I've been on panels. I might get asked to moderate a panel someday. So, hey, that's really useful for you folks out there. So first, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Union Square Ventures, where she currently works. Now, I know not everyone in the audience has heard of it. They're located in New York, near Union Square, of course. And I went over there to their office earlier to talk to Bethany. Some really big names are partners there, Fred Wilson, Albert Wengner, and uh, I know some of those names well because Union Square Ventures, or USV as we call it, they invest in so many successful tech companies around the world, including, and especially uh, Foursquare, that's my former employer. I, Albert is uh, one of the board members, in fact. I have not met him directly, but you know, when, <laughs> when you're part of a small company, you kind of know some of the names on the board that get thrown around from time to time. So Bethany gets to work directly with these people. 
And with all the companies in the network, um, including, you might have heard of some of these, Coinbase, Kick, SoundCloud, Clarify, Numeri, all the eyes, they end in AI. That's how you know they're doing AI. And she connects them together. So I think that's a role where you're in a position to create a ton of value. So I'm really interested to get Bethany's perspective on, on career and creating value because, you know, she landed this, uh, she's always done really interesting stuff and, and, and she's landed this role and I really wanted to check in. So I asked her about a career strategy and one of the themes I got is kind of te- depth versus breadth of knowledge. Uh, Bethany has a lot of breadth in her career, but I think it could go both ways with that. So, and, and in fact, I'd like to know from you guys, uh, you know, anyone have a kind of a, a depth career strategy where you are an expert at one thing, world's best, or, or do you work on breadth? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I have not gotten a definitive answer on whether one's better than the other, but I'm, I'm curious to get maybe uh, from someone who's tried one and then switched to the other. Localmaxradio at gmail.com if you want to weigh in. Now, before we begin, Bethany mentioned a technical topic on in the interview called transfer learning. It's Machine learning AI lingo. Bethany is not a machine learning engineer like me, but like me and like the rest of you who listen to The Local Maximum, she sees value in using ideas from the machine learning statistics AI field uh, in everyday life or in working life. So uh, since I mentioned it, I want to give you a quick overview of what transfer learning is when people like me are developing algorithms that make predictions. So ideally, when you train a machine learning algorithm on the data that it is going, you want to train a machine learning algorithm on the data that it's going to be applied to. So let me give you an example from Foursquare. When I was building the rating system for all our points of interest, and I was trying to determine whether uh, Foursquare tips all the reviews coming in were positive or negative, uh, by the way, Episode three with Stephanie Yang for details. Excellent episode. So we first used a model that was trained somewhere else. We wanted to try that way back in 2011. It might have been designed for Twitter to figure out the difference between a positive tweet and a negative tweet. People try to trade on that or do marketing off it or some sort of thing. And uh, it didn't, well, I don't know if it worked for that. It didn't work at all for us on Foursquare data. The Gershwin Theater in Midtown Manhattan was declared the worst place in the world because it was playing the Broadway hit Wicked, which was deemed a negative word by that data set. So uh, Foursquare users don't use that word like that at all. Foursquare users use Wicked in a positive sense. I mean, I don't know, maybe it has to do with the fact that Dennis Crowley was born in, in Massachusetts. So once we trained on our data, I think things got a lot better, but that's not always possible. And sometimes your models can get out of date too. So even though you're training on your own data, uh, the new data is hopefully similar, but it's not always people invent new words. If you're doing image recognition, it could be that people started getting better cameras or they're taking better pictures of a different style. And so your model gets out of date. And we uh, in the business informally call this model drift now, sometimes it's a big problem. Sometimes it's it's not such a big problem because a picture of a cat is a cat after all, or a picture and the meanings of words don't change that much in a year. So you can get away without retraining for a very long time. So in episode 57, 
I talked about drawing analogies to figure out uh, if uh, a model will work in a given context. In other words, how similar is this problem to the conditions under which the model was trained? If you think your algorithm uh, of an algorithm like an animal that evolved to do well in a certain environment, well, if you take that animal out of that environment and put it in another environment, will it do well still? It might. It might not. It really depends. So if I may next refer to another one of my episodes. Sorry, I, got, I always refer to this. I'm, uh, now, episode 56, I talked a little bit about image recognition, uh, specifically convolutional neural nets, and how do these machines know whose face it is, or how do they detect a cat or, or a hot dog anyway? And the short answer of it is that it's done in layers, which, with each layer getting more and more abstract and less and less machine lights. The bottom layer is pixels. It's just which color is where. And the next layer might be able to represent short lines and curves and edges. And somewhere towards the top, you get the faces, the animals, the more interpretive designs. And what these researchers found with transfer learning is that often these bottom layers, you know, the ones on the images that are finding X's and wiggly lines and patterns like that, those tend to be pretty general and those are, 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 can, can actually be reused on different data sets pretty well. Um, and that makes training a lot cheaper. And the specific one that they were looking at at Google uh, was NLP. I suppose it was a hidden group actually doing the real research while those clowns were having their AI ethics board imploding. By the way, how many of those people on the AI ethics board or I guess they're not on it anymore, the nominated for the <laughs> defunct board have heard of transfer learning or convolutional neural networks. You might be tempted today to say, you know, not a damn one, but I assure you guys, the, uh, the battle drone guy, he knows. Anyway, uh, they found the bottom layers to be transferable in a natural language processing context. So in other words, the meaning of individual words, which kind of makes sense, you know, the Words in English have meaning, and they don't change from data set to data set. So I'll post this the link, but uh, even though it makes sense, the um, it has to be trained in the right way, in this hierarchical way, and that's what makes this idea very valuable to these research, researchers and very valuable to the field. So I'll post the links about the research if you're curious to learn more on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash 63. Now let's turn to our guest, Bethany Crystal is the general manager of the portfolio network at Union Square Ventures, where she facilitates connections and shared learning opportunities among their 80-plus active portfolio companies. Previously, Bethany managed customer experience marketing at Stack Overflow, the world's largest developer resource. I mean, come on, who doesn't search Stack Overflow 10 times a day? For those of you guys who are, who are engineers or developers, I for those of you who aren't, you probably have stumbled on it too. It's like half of searches out there. So anyway, she co-founded the educational initiative Beyond Coding and sits on the boards of CompSci High, a new charter school in the Bronx, and the Northwestern University Alumni Association. By the way, I mentioned Beyond Coding in this interview as well. Uh, that's a program that I do with Bethany to um, uh, to teach soft skills to people who are coming into the tech industry. So I'll probably talk about that uh, in, in, in a future show. Um, but that's another thing that we do. That's kind of the connection there. All right, let's talk to Bethany. Bethany Crystal, welcome to the show. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Thanks, Max. 
Uh, so I am, I'm doing this new thing now where I'm actually hustling to people's location. I don't know if this is sustainable, but it's good to be here at Union Square Ventures. Very nice office, by the way. It's like three blocks away from mine. Nice Obama O's. Has anyone eaten those yet? Or are well, those, uh... that's actually a funny story. We've been having that box here with us since Airbnb pitched us back in 2008. Yeah, it did look a little, I don't know what it was. It does look a little retro. <laughs> we keep it here as a reminder yeah. of what happens when we say no to a company that becomes really successful. And just because we are not the target audience does not mean it's not for everyone. So that's Airbnb. It stays here forever. So yeah. the guy just said here, I'm going to like let people sleep on my air mattress. And like I would have said no way. Exactly. <laughs> We were wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, there's something to feel bad about, and especially that cereal box. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's good to – thank you for so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's, you know, it's been great working with you over the last few years and uh, on Beyond Coding, and I guess we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. First of all, well, how long have you – what's your role at Union Square Ventures? How long have you worked here? I've worked here for three years, and I am the general manager of our portfolio network. And just like we invest in companies that use network effects to build better businesses, we look at our portfolio as a network as well, which means every time we make a new investment, our network gets better for every single employee at every single company. So explain that. Can you give an example? Because I feel like people are going to have trouble wrapping this Yeah, we this. have 85 companies, 10,000 employees across this network. And just because one company learns something, suddenly that becomes potentially helpful to every other company. So if you know oh, a really good way to monetize a consumer app business, chances are there are a dozen other companies that might benefit from that. And through this shared collective network intelligence, we can all become a little more successful. Yeah, I've been to some of your events here, and I know that you know we often try do try to like set up companies with each other. Like, oh, you should work with you on. Yeah, this. it's pretty intense. We have over 150 events a year now for people, yeah. so it's basically every other day we're doing something here. Yeah. So, what's an example of a time when you got two companies, uh, you know, together to like share what they learned? Today, we just had a conversation about brand marketing and had eight companies in the room led by an outside brand organization talking about trust and brand building and how you can learn from consumer brands all over the world to build better developer brands. All right. So on this show, like I do a lot of technology forecasting. I just do it in general. It's like a hobby of mine. And we try to like imagine what the world's going to be like in two, five, ten. ten years. Yeah, all that stuff. But here at USV, you guys are literally betting over a billion dollars on being correct in that regard, I'm guessing. is that I don't know how big it is. <laughs> but <laughs> do you think differently about investing in new technology uh, now than when you started at USV? How, how have you, you know, what would you say, I assume that you're thinking on this has changed over the last three years just by being here. Yeah, I mean, I used to work at a startup. I used to work at Stack Overflow. And of course, when you're working in that environment, everything is just about what can I do to make tomorrow not suck as much? Because we're yeah. always putting out a thousand fires. Yeah. My job here changed dramatically because we're asking a question, what is the world going to look like in 10 years? And how do we help companies prepare for that? And how do we make investments around what that future state could be? So one example might be, what does education look like today? What's broken about it? And what might we want to change in 10 years? And what companies are looking at parts of that today? And that's how we're thinking about investing. Education is interesting because, you know, I worked at an education startup way back in the day. I don't think I knew that. No. I, Wireless Generation, it's now called Amplify. It's in Brooklyn. It was founded in like 2000. That was my first job at a That's school. crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, it was it was down in Dumbo before there was anything in Dumbo. <laughs> well, I mean, we look at higher education today, for example. Yeah, it's so was, expensive. Yeah. It it might not make sense for the future. So we're asking a question today, like, will colleges exist the same way a decade from now? Does that funding model still make sense? And if not, what are other ways that people can learn? And we're investing in a lot of companies that are doing that and always looking for more. I don't even think I truly understand the funding model for colleges today. Like, tuition-based, but what, what else are they doing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of things. We were looking at the administrative costs, too, because yeah. there's obviously a lot of other people at stake there. In some ways, you're almost paying for the brand of a university yeah. by just going to that university. So how much of it is actually the degree and the knowledge that you're gathering versus like this branded experience? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So how, how many, uh, how, how often do you meet with the portfolio companies? I don't know if I need to go into too much detail here, but like you, you probably learn a little bit about like each company. That's what I think is interesting. You get a bird's eye view of what everyone's doing. Yeah, it's pretty cool um, because we have 85 companies scattered throughout North America and Europe. We don't, we don't really invest in direct competitors, which means I get to learn about everything from drones to cryptocurrencies to education flashcard businesses yeah. to developer tools, finance, everything in between. And cryptocurrencies, you guys have uh, Coinbase, right? Yes, that's one of our earliest investments. And that uh, I, I've met with some of them. I want to turn to your Medium articles, of which there are quite a few, and I'll, I'll, link, to, I'll link to your Medium posts. Uh, you talk about... A little bit about technology, but a lot about like life and work and productivity. And I definitely wouldn't classify it as a productivity blog, though. Like, what was your goal? Yeah, no, it's it's not. But it's what's your goal with this Medium account? Like, what? How do you describe it? Because I go into these articles and I'm like, oh, this is actually an interesting article. Where usually I think most Medium articles are kind of a waste of my time. And that's why I wanted yeah, to talk to you Yeah, you know, today. I like writing a lot. Yeah. I actually studied journalism and my job here in venture capital is so far away from that. So I'd like to get back to that sort of writing and storytelling. I have a personal blog, um, bethanycrystal.com that I call dry erase. And I actually pull everything that I write there over to my medium. So it's a duplicate of everything, but I like, I I shouldn't call So I shouldn't call it your medium blog. You could call it, you know, it exists in multiple places. Content is a distributed model these days, but dry erase to me is this idea of having a whiteboard that you're just constantly recreating and drawing. So I, I sort of use it as like a digital scratch pad for myself to think about stories in interesting ways and see what I can extract or extrapolate from that. It's everything from something interesting I saw on the streets of New York to some, you know, more personal narrative or story about my life or career. And I also have a lot of job and career advice in there since that's where I spend a lot of my time. And that's also something that I help a lot of our employees at our companies think about. Yeah, so one of your articles really stood out to me because what I do here on Local Maximum, which is, you know, uh, I I, I, kind of take an idea from machine learning, which I've been doing for a while, and then I kind of transform that idea into a tool that an average person can use to understand the world. So you had one that is the idea behind, uh, you know, transfer learning. You looked at the idea of transfer learning in a technical sense, um, or at least you heard about it from some machine learning engineers, and maybe I'll cover it a little bit after the show. How did you get uh, – where did you pick up this idea of transfer learning, and how did that get you thinking about the problems that you face? Great question. 
question. So I was talking to a developer in our network, and he was telling me about how Google has created their like natural language processing model around how to ask and contextualize information about the English language so that answering questions is easier. And I was hearing about that model and why it's so interesting is that they've open sourced it so that now other groups of people can take that information that they've learned through all of the data and all of the machine learning work that they've done and build more specific other models on top of it. So yeah, now that they've really demystified the NLP around English language, you can think about building another component on there that's an even more specific example, say, what do I need to know about architecture in particular now that they've already demystified this part of it? So the idea is you're, it's a transfer of information from one model that you can then apply in a more specific other interesting sense. And I started thinking about it in other ways that you might transfer learning in something I see a lot in building companies. Because one thing that happens at companies is that they grow really quickly, teams scale, and people leave. And when people leave, you often lose a lot of information from those people. Yeah, yeah. And you can't, as I know firsthand, you can't just um, can't just tell everyone everything you know. It's not, uh, it's not that easy. It definitely doesn't work and that way. if it way. was that easy, it would be a lot easier to train people. So I was thinking about, like, what's, like, the business case version of transfer learning where yeah. someone has some information. And really, I think it's about just making sure those people are working alongside you with you on that project so that you can actually take what you've done, transfer it, and apply it, and understand that you can't just, like, download your brain into someone else's brain, but you can build upon it and making sure that you're preparing for the longevity of the business. Yeah, so working together is way more important. We get into this uh, problem as engineers a lot. Like, we're like, you you go off and you're working alone for like weeks and weeks, and that's great. You could build something amazing, but now nobody knows how it works. Yeah, and um, and you haven't learned anything from anyone else. And so there's this idea of pair programming. Um, that kind of sounds similar to what you're talking about that's been around for a while. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's something that we're doing more and more at my current job, which uh, I'm actually kind of a fan of. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. But um, it's just, you know, sitting down with someone for an hour and getting done a lot. By the way, it's a lot easier to focus when there's someone else there for some reason. When it's just you, you're like, ah, oh, maybe I'll check well, uh, and, my And email. not only that, but it, yeah. it helps with just – expanding on information because if you're working together yeah. there's things that that person's probably picking up i, yeah. I wrote in that blog they post they have like a little trick and a little you know it's hard to like quantify how much that's helping but there's like there's a everyone knows like a little trick or a little shortcut yeah it's yeah. it's really helpful and i learned this personally the hard way when i left stack overflow after four years i yeah. thought it was good enough to just put everything that i did during my four years into one google sheet and link it out to everyone and say here you go everything you need is here and of course that didn't work at all i hadn't been incorporating the knowledge in a more shared way how did you know it didn't work did they come to you afterwards and yes like, up to three Bethany. years afterwards no i was getting asked questions like oh have we ever done this before and i'd be like it was in my google doc you didn't see that oh my god yeah i know yeah so that has not happened at Foursquare yet for me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that means you did a better job than I did no, at transferring your learning. I have a feeling that there's stuff that they need to know that they're not doing, but um, they're going to let it. It's going to slide for a while. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I think that's what's happening. Uh, we'll see. Um, so okay. I also discuss 
you know, education and careers on the show a lot, particularly uh, getting into data science right now is very confusing. Um, I spoke about that with, with Hillary Mason a couple weeks ago, and I, I covered it on, on my show a week before that, how, you know, when you see a, a job titled data science, it means something, you know, could mean something different at different companies, and people are having trouble getting in on the entry level. But, you know, more generally, you wrote about this fear of yours called a career cliff. Um, what got you worried about the career cliff? And is it different from, you know, a career plateau, which is another mm. issue I'm worried about? What, uh, wh- what is that? Yeah, I graduated from college in 2009, right after a pretty big uh, right. recession in our economy here in the U.S. And it was during a time when a lot of people were losing their jobs, my dad included. And I noticed that he had had a career of 30 years working in an automotive industry at Ford. And all of a sudden, he just didn't have a job one day. And I started to think about how can I, in my career path, hedge against that possibility by making sure I am always continually learning and preparing for the skills that I'll be needed for in the next wave of innovation. So that's what I mean when I say like hedging against a career cliff. The the nightmare scenario for me is that I wake up and all of a sudden I have no transferable useful skills. That is a nightmare. But is that really, <laughs> is that one of the zillions of fears that I have that are completely unfounded? Like do you, like... Um, well, we saw it so happen. You saw it happen. Yeah, well... Uh, so, okay, how do you prevent it? it or what, what's, your, what's your strategy? Well, I think I've been trying to be very, uh, like, open and transferable and agile in my career. And I take my degree of journalism, and I haven't really had any just straight-up journalism job with it. So I try to boil down yeah. whatever skills I have into a subset of specific behaviors. So well, We're doing podcasting right we're now. We're podcasting. That's journalism, journalism is communicating. Journalism <laughs> yeah. is writing. Journalism is talking to people, interviewing, traveling. And it, it's I can then that, have that a lot more options. I'm getting into journalism with my computer science degree right Absolutely. Now. <laughs> I'm working in venture capital with a journalism degree. It's great. Yeah. yeah so, um, right. Okay. So Sorry. I, I kind of interrupted you there, which I know I'm not supposed to do. No, it's so good. Continue. <laughs> so, you, so you were saying, okay, so you got into uh, so, so you got into venture capital. You got, what did you do at Stack Overflow again? I worked in marketing and right. sales. So okay. I've had roles in sales, marketing, consulting, editorial assistant work, and writing. So and now I'm, my title is general manager yeah. today. So, you're, so would I be correct in saying that your strategy is to Diversify your skill set. Yeah, exactly. It's the portfolio model effect of yeah. hedging your career. I see. I see. Just like investing. Okay. But then some of the skills that you have are useful. They're like transferable skills. Writing and communicating doesn't really go out of fashion. The more we have technology and automation that fixes some of the core problems that we are thinking about. For instance, in the healthcare industry, let's say we build better diagnoses tools so that you don't need doctors to be trained as much to be able to diagnose things because we have computers and visual and AI recognition models that can do it. What instead would a doctor as a person do? That's going to be all about communicating. And maybe being a doctor in 25 years will be more about the patient experience and empathy and communicating with people. So I think that these skills will actually become more important and people will be oh. translators. I could have, I, I, I think it's going to be just as important or more in 20 years. Yeah, okay, I think yeah. so. But uh, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's hard to get hired, though, just by saying I can, I'm a communicator. 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. some somebody has to demonstrate it, with, which you had. But like, you know, what would you advise someone who is in college or coming out of college right now? Well, I think starting with any really general thing, like I can code or I can write, is too vague to get a job. I yeah. think you need to find a specific niche or a wedge in there. So that that's the thing that a, a lot of people don't get. Like you could have like writing and coding is a marketable skill. Yeah. But it's it's you need something else to get started and it's um well And your yeah. personal pitch is a defensible business model pitch that you're making to someone else. You should hire me, not this other person, because I can write and I know a lot about cars or you, I write and I know a lot about healthcare and that's why I'm the best writer for your health tech company. Okay, so how would you uh again, like someone who is is starting out like what would you what would you tell them then if they have one of these general skills? I would encourage them to really think about what's important to them at work and prioritize based on that. And maybe that's something that you are passionate about. Maybe that's finding a manager that you want to learn from. Maybe that's just working in a certain type of company or experience. But the more specific you can get, the more you can hone in your pitch as to why you, why that company. Yeah. I I feel like I want to circle back on something you said uh, before about um, on diversifying your set of skills, because do you have another example on that? Because I feel like there's something I'm missing here. Okay. So if we are thinking about how to diversify your skill set, I think that's also looking for ways to be an entrepreneur in any aspect of your job or life. That is a good point. And particularly when you work in a startup, I think it's your job to always be looking to solve the next problem, even if that's not something in your job description. So another way you can hedge against a career cliff is to make yourself the most indispensable person in every room that you're in. And those kinds of people are the people that are looking around, thinking about problems, asking questions, and jumping in to solve them when other people aren't. And that has been how I have gotten the most career advancement for me personally, is finding a thing, starting the project, and then becoming that role. Which of your blog posts got the most reaction? Um, There is a blog post I wrote called the Four Box Job Searching Grid, that talks about how I looked for my most recent job by breaking it out into four different groups of things, the things I like doing and want to do more of, the things that I definitely don't want to do, and like the deal breakers that I definitely want to avoid, and then like the mandatory requirements that I have. And when I was able to look at those four things, then I was able to really say yes and no to certain companies and ultimately end up here at USV. Okay, I will link to that as well. Tell us any final thoughts on what we've discussed today and where people can find you online. Uh, you can find me online at on Twitter at Bethany Mars. That's B-E-T-H-A-N-Y-M-A-R-Z. I have my website at BethanyCrystal.com. And I think that it's really great to talk about how you can take concepts of technology, machine learning, and apply them to career, work, life. And it's been fun having this conversation. All right. All of those will go on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash 63. Bethany, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. All right. Remember, if you want to hear more about boosting your career, and there is no better time for that than in 2019, just wait for next week's interview with, with uh, Mark Senadella, CEO of thelatters.com. I told you you'd be impressed. Following that, 
We're going to return to our regularly scheduled tech news and concept-centric reporting. Uh, I know we've been heavy on the guest recently, uh, but many of you are asking, you know, when can I hear from you? When can we hear from Aaron again? And Aaron asked me an interesting question the other day, actually. How do you estimate the probability of an event that's never occurred? So very profound and philosophical question the more you dive into it. Maybe send me an example and we'll talk about it on the program. As for me, this week is has been insane with the Passover holiday followed by the luminary launch, followed by a family wedding in Miami next week where, where, I, will, uh, where I will launch the next episode. Um, so, uh, but as I spend an extra day in Miami, I think I'll, I'll sketch out some more shows for you and uh, send out feelers for more excellent guests that I think you'll love. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power. And she said, I don't care what you say. You're going to see me shine.